Well, this is what I want you to do today. I want you to open your Bibles, and uh, uh, if you have them on your phone, tablet, if you're on version, find 2 Corinthians 2 uh, is going to be our, our, our kind of our, our base this morning. 2 Corinthians 2, verse uh, 15 and 16 is where we're going to find ourselves. As we wrap up a series that, it's interesting because the, the terminology in the Bible speaks of clothing ourselves with kindness. And I have to admit, as a pastor, there are some series that in teaching you get into and you're looking for an exit. And there are other series you get into and you just don't want to end. And, and this series is one that has is, is become that, that warm coat. It's become that, that, that comfortable clothing in our lives that, that reminds us of God's love, but also challenges us to live in His kindness. And I want you today to open your heart up as we wrap this up, because there, there are things that God has shown us in this time that literally are becoming part of our vocabulary, part of our way of thinking. It, it's become a run, kind of a running joke on the team. You know, it's a, every time I open my, they're like, be kind. And I'm like, I know, we've got to be kind. And, and there's like, it's not about being nice. I'm like, I know, it's not about being nice. But, but kindness works its way out in so many ways that open the door for others to come and know the same grace you and I received when we came to know Jesus Christ. And so today we want to talk about what that looks like and, and what it doesn't look like. In fact, if you remember, we entered this year with a theme verse in Psalm 33, 22. It'll be on your screen, at, even at home, and it says this, May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Now, if we believe that, if we really anchor ourselves in that verse, then our prayer must be for everyone we encounter to know the unfailing love of God and to put their hope in Him, because that really is what God has called us to do and to be as Christians. We, we carry out the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and we do it in a way of kindness. I, I came across this quote this week in my studies. It's by A.J. Gordon, who founded one of the ones who founded Gordon-Conwell Seminary, but it says this. It says, our task is not to bring all the world to Christ. Our task is unquestionably to bring Christ to all the world. And that's what you and I do. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are, we are holding out the words of truth, and we do that when, according to Micah 6, 8, we, we do justice, and we, we love kindness, and we walk humbly before our God. Now, we've described kindness as the way that Jesus walked. He came in this world full of grace and truth. He came in this world with a firm center. That's part of our, 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 our lexicon now, this firm center, which means we have a foundation of truth that according to God's word sets us free. It's not a catchphrase to say, you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. It is truth. Because when we know our God and we know his truth in us, it brings freedom in us. That's that firm center that does not change. But we also walk in grace. And grace gives us that soft edge that makes us receivable to others that they may come into our lives and know our Jesus, know our Savior, know our Lord. In fact, in Matthew 10, 40, it says this. It says, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Think about that. All the connections you have, all the relationships you have, all the unknown, people you haven't even thought or known that God wants to bring into your life, there is a choice you and I make every day according to the word that we, whether we clothe ourselves with kindness or not. Because when we do, we open the door for others to come into our lives and experience the God who gave us his son and who saved us by his grace. 
Now, we laughed about the fact that kindness is not the same as niceness. And I think in our culture particularly, we're good at being nice, uh, but nice doesn't come with truth sometimes. Nice would rather not wade into the messiness of other people's lives. Nice would just like to say, bless your heart and move on. But God has called us to be ready always to give an answer of the hope that's in us. But we do that with gentleness and respect. Now today what I want to do in wrapping this up is I want to, I want to talk about what that creates. I want to talk about what that creates in your life. And the Apostle Paul couched it in the, in the idea of aroma, the smell that, that emanates from our lives. 2 Corinthians 2, check it out, verse 15 and 16. He says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? This aroma of Christ that he says emanates from our lives. And the aroma of Christ and the aroma of the church is kind of a mixed bag today because quite honestly, some are giving off the fragrance of Christ. You know you have met a person. You know you've met someone that is that has reached into a life that is higher than theirs. We've reached into a life that has changed them from the inside out, and they they emanate this fragrance of Christ, while others give off no fragrance whatsoever. That's niceness. Or worse, they smell like something other than Jesus and the God of the scriptures. 1985, I, I, I graduated from college, and I know some think that's ancient, but it, it's when it was, okay? And I, I, was, I came out of college, and I'll be quite honest with you, I was naive in a lot of ways. I'd grown up in a godly household. I'd grown up in a, a church that loved Jesus. I'd grown up among friends that, that just went about life. And, uh, and I, I, I never forget when I got hired by the company I was hired by, and I go to work for them, very high-powered firm, lots of pressure in that. I thought it was a, a good thing when they said this, and they said, oh, we've decided that you're going to work for the Christian." I thought, well, they must know my past. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, so that makes sense until I met him. And when I met him, I realized that that terminology they were giving was not a, an honor. It was actually a, a curse. Because what they were speaking of was I was going to go to work for the man who wanted everybody to know he was a Christian. But yet the way he lived his life said he served everything else but God. We couldn't walk by a young lady without him making a comment. We couldn't be in office without him sharing some crude joke. We, we couldn't do anything. And what was happening was this. Everyone else knew but him. That his smell was not that of Jesus Christ. It actually stunk. You see, today what I want to speak about is what I call the saboteur of kindness, and that is hypocrisy. Woohoo! Hypocrisy. I know it's what you came to church for, right? And I call it passing the smell test. Passing the smell test. Because hypocrisy is one of those terms that, as religious people, we kind of sort of know what that means, right? In fact, growing up in church, there were all these catchy phrases and statements about hypocrisy. And, and, and looking back now, I don't think we ever really fully grasped it because we get excited about things that really didn't matter. I, I remember preachers, or especially evangelists, coming in, and they had a catchphrase that got some people excited. And it was simply this. They said, if you're going to talk the talk, you better what? Walk the walk. And somebody be like, oh, praise Jesus. I mean, get the hanky out. Yes. And what they were saying is that applies to everybody else but me. Because you hypocrites better pay attention. 
You're going to walk the talk the talk, you better walk the walk. I remember them relaying this in a way that made sense scripturally because Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verse 6 through 7, he said, he said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. See, that's where the word actually comes from. It comes from Jesus' mouth. He, he's the one that introduced that into our lives. He said, it's, it's right when they prophesied about you hypocrites, for as it is written, these people honor me with their lips. They, they talk the talk, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. There was another phrase I heard a lot in church, and it was kind of a, a riff off of a, work, a, a poem by Ralph Waldo Emerson, but it said simply this. It says, I can't hear what you're saying because your life is speaking too loudly. I always liked that one because it reminded me the more, I the more I identify publicly, the more I say to others, the more I, I show it by the way I live that I am a follower of Jesus Christ, the more inspection comes upon my life. The more eyes are on me, the more scrutiny comes because the, the world wants to see if my life is consistent with my beliefs. And if my Jesus is not real in what they see, then they're not going to listen to what I have to say. I can't hear you because your life is speaking too loudly. In my favorite, which is a total cop-out, I can't go to church. There's too many hypocrites there. Well, you can't go anywhere because there's hypocrites everywhere. Because we struggle as humans to live out sometimes what we really believe. We struggle being with consistency what God has called us to be. And the world recognizes that. And the, and the reason it's so critical is because the vice of hypocrisy is really the tool the enemy uses to squeeze the life out of kindness. And it spoils the kind-heartedness and authenticity, the very virtues that lead others to our Christ. You see... I struggle with terminology these days because I believe the world has lost touch with what it really means to someone to say they are a Christian or a disciple. And I find myself answering people and they say, well, what are you? I am a follower of Christ and we must embrace that. But we also have to embrace it fully, recognizing we are also broken and needing our God as much as anybody else every day of our lives. We've not arrived so this morning, what I want to do in wrapping this series up is just touch on a couple of points that need to be found in us that God promised to bring through us, and then also look at a, a group of people that Jesus clearly had a little difficulty with because of their hypocrisy. So here's what you see in the Word of God, and that is one of the things that must be found in our lives if we're going to be a witness to Christ, if we're going to bring that kindness, that firm center and the soft edge, is we must learn to live with authenticity in our lives. What we say we do, we do. What we say we don't, we don't. Too often, uh, we, we, I know in the church I grew up in, uh, there, was a, there was a single verse that really kind of drove a lot of our theology, and that was that we were to avoid the appearance of evil. And man, we spent all our time avoiding the appearance of evil because we wanted to look good to everybody else at the same time, not realizing there was nothing good in us. Because Jesus said, there's none righteous, no, not one. And I remember the hypocrisy that developed, and I remember the humorous, silly things that were done, and things that, looking back, I'm like, what were they thinking? I remember going out after church with a, with a visiting preacher, because after all, when you're dating the pastor's daughter, you get invited to lunch sometimes with the evangelist or the missionary. And I remember when he pulled up to a restaurant, he goes, oh, no, 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 we can't eat there. I'm like, why? They got good burgers. <laughs> because there's a bar there. They've got a bar inside. And I'm like, really? But they got good burgers. 
And, and I started processing that, and I was just a college student, teenage, and I'm, I'm thinking, so the appearances, you don't want anybody to think you may have gone in there and gotten a beer, but you're okay with gossiping about everybody else at a restaurant that doesn't have the bar. That makes no sense. Maybe our light would shine better, not by, by uh, circumspectly being in a place we feel maybe something we don't want to engage in, but, but maybe, maybe our light would shine far brighter by how we treat those that actually serve us the meal and how we conduct our conversations among us, not necessarily where we went to eat. You see, it's counterintuitive to us. But people feel more welcome. This is that soft edge. They feel more welcomed into our lives when we allow ourselves to open up with authenticity rather than to appear buttoned up with our own self-righteousness. When we try to lead with perfection, it, it brings out a smell that they say, that's not Jesus. But we bring in this authenticity that says, you know what, as a follower of Christ, I know something. It doesn't tell the world that I am perfect, but it tells the world that I welcome others into their, in their imperfections as much as they welcome me in my imperfection. And now we can talk about the God who saves me and the Lord who died for us. You see, authenticity reveals grace and grace reveals Christ. And when we cease to proclaim Christ and how we live, we literally profane him to those who watch. And we present a caricature of him that has nothing to do with who Christ is in our lives. Believe it or not, people are watching. They watch things like this. They watch how we even handle like our finance, whether we are, whether we are people that live generously and sacrificially or whether we hoard everything just for our own lives. They, they, they watch things like this, how that we will drive miles to attend a church, but we, we have blinders on to ignore the needs in our own backyard how we talk a lot about racial reconciliation in biblical terms, but we don't actively build genuine relationships with the people who have different stories than our own. Or how we focus so much on our relationship to God. We love services to worship Him, but yet it doesn't translate into our relationships with mankind. That's hypocrisy. That's why Paul said to the church at Philippi in Philippians 2, he said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather than humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It's this life lived outward because of what God has done in us. So we must look at authenticity, but right alongside of that, and equally important, is what I would say is this, and that is that we live with humility. Humility that recognizes a, a true picture of who we are. I believe this today more than ever. Our high and holy calling as followers of Christ needs to be lived out in a low and humble calling, recognizing our need of our Savior. You see, just as our culture will not tolerate a lack of authenticity, neither will it be drawn by a lack of humility. They may think our values are out of touch, but let's live in a way they can never, never question our sincerity or our believability that God changed our lives. You see, I, I feel like we've got to be careful sometimes that we, we, we present an aura of arrogance instead of humility sometimes. We, we refuse to just admit it when we make mistakes, and we try to cover it up with all kind of spiritual language. When the world's saying, just be real. Just be real. Because when we walk in humility, what happens is this. Instead of always talking about our success and our perfect family and how nothing ever touches us, and we're just walking this world in the perfection zone, and yet they know it's not true. 
It's with a young couple yesterday. They're planning on getting married, doing premarital counseling with them. And, and we were talking about things they battle. And, and the young lady said, I really battle comparison because I see these people that just seem so much spiritual than I do. And I said, can I tell you as a pastor of 30 years, you, just not know, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And God never told us to compare ourselves. The only comparison we have is to Christ. And we compare ourselves to Christ, guess what it breeds? Humility. We're far, far from perfection. But when we give this world this imperfect picture of somehow the, that, that we just have everything all together, then what we're doing is we're showing culture a lack of humility, and we're living in this self-righteous way that drives people away from God instead of bringing people to God. Because here's the thing. We have been called to live in a way that Christ lived. We are to walk among people in all their messiness. But a lack of humility isolates ourselves from others so that we can preserve an image that's not even real. See, we are image bearers, aren't we? We've been called to bear the image of Christ. We've been called to, to live in such a way that, that our lives and our faith is not a charade. I, I always, when I think about hypocrisy, and again, it's not a favorite topic of this pastor to preach on, so I've not preached on it a lot over the years, but, but my favorite way to, to identify it is to look in the Bible at those that Jesus had a problem with. One of those stories was when a group of men pulled a lady out one day in front of him and said, she's committed adultery. All right, perfect man. You say you're God. What do you do about that? Ignoring the fact they broke many, many laws to even know where she was and to bring her in for him. And I love the story because Jesus just didn't come out in that sentence and go, you bunch of hypocrites, go away. No, he did something really cool. Do you, do you remember the story? They brought him out there. They've got stones in their hand. They're ready to kill her by the old law. And he says, he says mm, okay, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. Well, here's the arrogance of that bunch. They still had their stones. They're ready. And he does something so amazing. He kneels down and he he starts drawing in the sand. And the Bible, I love when the Bible doesn't give us all the details, because then your imagination can run wild a little bit. But it says when he started drawing in the sand, he said they all started dropping their stones and going away, the oldest to the youngest. And I've just got to be convinced that somehow he was like, okay, you brought her because she's committed adultery, but I'm drawing in the sand. I'm writing like Mary looking at you and Susan and looking at you. And I believe he was writing the names of all their mistresses and says, okay, you really want to kill her? Then you're, you're dead as well. And they all went away. And he said to her, Women, who, who, where are your accusers? He says, I don't accuse you, but go and sin no more. He didn't mess around with the sin, but he didn't allow the hypocrisy to destroy her life. In the same way, we have to walk in a way of humility and authenticity because otherwise we just put out this charade of life that doesn't appeal to anyone, and the aroma of that stinks. It doesn't bring anybody to Christ. See, the way of kindness is not cosmetic. It's from the soul. It's not performance. It's purpose. It's not mechanics, it's motive, it's not pretense, it's candor. And when we mess up, and we inevitably will, defaulting to denial just pours gas on the fire the world already wants to put on our witness in our lives. 
You see, we've got to be willing to, to walk in this humility. We've got to be walking in this authenticity. Because when we walk in inconsistency in the area, we become a, a bad witness, and, and it betrays our claim that God's truth matters. In church, truth absolutely matters. It's the truth with grace that Jesus came to walk in. And we've got to live our lives that portray the ma- that truth matters. We walk in such a way that authentic lives and humble lives create this soft edge people can grab hold of because we are name bearers. We bear the name of Jesus. You're going to work for the Christian. Great. Great. You see, hypocrisy is probably the easiest to define, the easiest to deal with when we understand it, it absolutely has everything to do with how we treat others. It's really not about appearance. Oh, God has, God has had to help me there. See, some of you are raised in a legalistic background. I know that. You've shared your stories. I truly was. And, and when it did, it, it really led to this thought that we, we judge people based on appearance instead of getting to know their hearts. Oh, God had to deal with me on that. Remember Easter Sunday many years ago, standing looking at a crowd coming in, and a guy walks in, and I mean, I know it's now, it's no big deal, but back then he was tatted up, he was pierced up, leathers on, I mean, and I'm like, good, we got somebody to get saved today. (laughs) Not knowing he was a minister of the gospel in a motorcycle ministry. You see, appearance doesn't do it. It's how we treat people. Whether we live with authenticity in humility. Jesus dealt with a group that he had no problem calling hypocrites. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 23, I just want to read you this, this exchange he had with, uh, with the Pharisees and with the teacher of the law in that moment. He said to them in Matthew 23, verse 1, he said to the crowds, actually, to those around him and to his disciples, he said, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. What he's saying is, look, they're here to represent the law that God gave Moses. Now, now the background of that was, is they took Moses' law and they created this oral tradition around it to help people out, which really bound people up that God never gave them. And so he says, they sit in the seat of Moses, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. So if it's, if it's part of the law, if it's part of what Moses led, yes, we're, we're held accountable. He said he's speaking to the disciples, again, speaking to those around him. <laughs> but, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels of their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats at the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. You see what what he was doing was this, and I, I want you to hear this clearly. Jesus got angry sometimes. Do you know that? But here's the deal. He did not get angry when he didn't get his way. He got angry when religion got in his way. When religion got in his way, it made him mad. Worse yet, when people used his father's word to hurt those his father loves, this to him was the highest form of hypocrisy. That's why in our walk with God, we we have to be so careful about being so judgmental. Last week, I talked about labeling people. 
what we're doing when we do that is we, we sometimes use the Father's words to hurt the very ones he loves that he's called us to reach. He goes on in verse 23 and 24 to this same group, and he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. Now, we'd have to divide that squash in ten ways if we were doing it this way, right? He said, you, you, you do great at, at, at taking the law down to its nth degree, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. I don't know what that means, but let your imagination run wild. What a great deal. See, they were justifying their neglect of others by their absolute certainty they were falling to the nth degree of the law. They're dividing their herbs in the house, like I got to get a tenth of that cumin over a tenth of that, that basil, a tenth of this over there, but yet they wouldn't lift a finger to show others the love of God. To them, religion was a game to play. Boy, they had learned how to play it well. They played to win. You didn't mess with the Pharisees. It gave them power and prestige, and they, they loved being in control instead of being in relationships. They loved exercising power instead of practicing love. Guys, God's never called us to be in power, but he's called us to be in love. He's never called us to rule. He's called us to relationship. And in our abilities and, and giftings and all that, God may elevate us to all kinds of positions, whether it be in business or government, wherever. But in the middle of all that, our highest calling is to love those that God loves and to relate to those that Jesus died for and to walk in an authenticity and humility that says we are about his business and not about achieving for ourselves a image that we ourselves know is not true anyway. He spoke one more time. This is in Mark's gospel. We read a little bit earlier, but Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 9, he, re he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have to let go of the commands of God. No, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. I really thought this week how to help us. Because the last thing I want to do is stand up here and go, hypocrites. Because to do that, i got to do this. Because on my best day, I'll fall short of the glory of God. I trip over my own self all the time. But I know who to go to. And I know whose power is real in me. I know what it is when the flesh wants to well up and get all religious and the Holy Spirit's like, stop. Humility, authenticity. Strong center. Soft edges. So I was studying this out, and I, I really hit a perplexing place in my studies. I'm like, oh my, I, I can't figure out how to finish this. And, and so I just started Googling out hypocrite. <laughs> That's fun, do that sometime. And, and, I, and I came across a pastor who basically asked, he said, Here, he said, here's a way to help you know where you stand. And he had these questions, and I totally ripped him off. And I want to share these questions with you today, because I have, I have felt every one of them. But it certainly helps me see where I stand. 
And they're going to be on the screen this morning, and, I, and I'll walk you through them because I just want you to think through this, and then we're going to pray and sing. We're going to let God just kind of speak into us. And the first question is this. Do you believe there is a ritual that makes you right with God while removing your responsibility to make things right with others? Maybe you were taught in the church you grew up in. Maybe there was a minister in your life. Maybe there was a family member that kind of twisted God's word and said, look, as long as you're right with God, don't worry about everybody else. As long as you know you're forgiven, you don't have to worry about reconciliation. But the Bible doesn't teach that. Here's the second question, and this is, I feel like youth pastor days, but truly adults, we, we get this. Do you ever try to figure out how close you can get to sin without actually sinning? Well, God, if I do that, is it really sin? You know, what, what if I have the right attitude? It doesn't matter. Sin is sin, right? I think this is one we, we really may have to deal with. Do you feel guiltier for missing church or your devotion or your prayer time than you do for mistreating someone else at work, home, or school? Priorities. It kind of fits with the last question. Do you believe the myth that God has short-term memory loss? We love pulling the Old Testament when it's necessary. He cast my sin as far as the east is from the west. Absolutely. But Jesus who came not to blow up the law to fulfill the law, he made it very clear that our confession to God leads us into a reconciliation with man. And if we don't follow through on the second side of that, even to the point he said, if you want me to forgive you your sins, you got to forgive others. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus put it this way, Matthew 5, 23, he said, therefore, if you're offering your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. You see, the issue of hypocrisy, the issue of the aroma not reflecting Christ is not about appearance. It's not about showing up in the right places. That if I get in your car, it's automatically on the Christian station. Or I visit your house and the Bible's out open on the table. It's not appearance. It's not that you wear the latest witness wear or the bumper stickers. That you really ought to think how you drive more before you put the bumper sticker on. It's about how we treat others. It's about how we understand God's relationship. We've been invited to this higher, better way of life, living in relationship with God in such a way that we are receivable to others. We've been invited to be done with these silly religious games and traditions of men that make us look foolish and hypocritical, but also make God seem small and petty. We serve a great God. I put it this way, it'll be on the screen. We've been invited to a kingdom of conscience. We think about how we impact lives we think about who we impact we think about what we're saying what we're doing and there's one law in this in this kingdom there's only one law and that's the law of christ it's not 500 laws of moses and everybody else's traditions and that law is simply this and it's so powerful we're to love others as god through christ has loved us it's pretty simple powerful difficult 
but it's totally within God's power in us to shape us that way. You see, we need to live with no loopholes in that kind of love, no games, no hiding, no fear, no shame, and learn to live every day answering one question. I've been so changed by this. Andy Stanley did a sermon years ago. He asked one question, and that was, what does love require of you? Powerful. I have so many of you at home tell me you watch me than Andy Stanley. Not fair. Stop it. He's a much better communicator. But I changed this question to this. What does kindness require of me? That's what this series has been all about, guys. What does it look like in your life to have a firm center? Soft edges. Here's the thing. We're going to fall short sometimes. In humility, we admit it. We own it. We are authentic in that. Because more than ever, people are watching us. And do they smell the stench of hypocrisy or do they smell the aroma of Christ? My prayer is this. It's, it's what the prophet said. He said, may I decrease that he may increase. May I live in such a way that I get out of the way and they see the Christ Would you pray with me? Let's stand. Father, thank you. God, that you've called us to build a life on a foundation of truth, God. This unshakable, God, unbreakable, sets us free. And God, I pray that, Lord, you work in us and through us, God, that others may experience that same truth, God, through our lives. And so I pray today, God, you do a work in us, God, so that you may do a work through us. That, Lord, we live in such a way that we are receivable, God, in this world. Lord, not acquiescing to everybody's beliefs, God, but making a place where they can come and learn truth in us. And, Father, I pray today, God, that, Lord, we learn how to love those. God, you've called us to reach. You've called us to minister to.